Well, hello, good morning and welcome. It's been a really interesting week, hasn't it? There's been a number of headlines in the news that have gripped our country and have dominated conversations. Many times in this pandemic, I have read, reread and dwelt on this. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6, it says, We are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. I just want to say afresh and again, keep your courage. Remain confident in your hope in Jesus. That's how we process yesterday. It's how we live today and it's how we step into tomorrow with confident hope in Jesus, with courage in Jesus and Jesus alone. You know, if you're listening to this throughout the week, can I just start by saying um, a few moments ago, Steph and I shared an update with what we will believe will be the next chapter for what things will look like um, with regards to the pandemic and our deepest longing to embrace it and for you to be fully involved. If you missed any of that, can I encourage you to dig it out? You'll find it on our website, various other places. But um, it is time. That's mainly what we talked about. It's time for team, it's time for togetherness, and we would love you to be part of it. But over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the book of Mark, and I just want to hone in again on the words and the works of Jesus. If you missed any of them, I believe it will be of great benefit to you to catch up so you can catch up online as we go on this journey together. The first week was about sowing. Last week was about being stronger than the storm. And it may come as no, to, no surprise to, to many of you that this week again begins with S. I want to talk about stronger than death. Before I launch in, can I just ask you, are you ready? Are you ready for today? You know, it says in Hebrews 4 verse 12, it says, For the word of God is alive and powerful, is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his, his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable you know, we're focusing in on the words and the works of Jesus. As we do this together, we should be changed. As we look at the Bible, it isn't just a collection of words from God, a vehicle for communicating ideas. It's a living, life-changing and dynamic thing as it works in us. With the incision of a surgeon's knife, God's word reveals who we are and what we are not. It penetrates to the core of our moral and spiritual life. It discerns what is within us, both good and evil. The demands of God's word demands from us action. We don't just listen to the word. We also let it shape and change and transform our lives. That's the people we want to be. You know, we weren't able to share this with you on social media because we didn't want to identify anybody but I don't know if you saw recently on the news on the local news that uh, a few weeks ago now several houses in the Gorton area were destroyed by this massive sinkhole and a number of people posted locally asking for support for young families and those whose houses had collapsed 
And we offered our support. We also got in touch with the local Gorton Children's Centre offering support and if they knew of any families that we could support. And an outreach worker asked us for help with providing food and clothing and toys for families and, and things like that. You know, I always find it amazing. God's timing is perfect. I don't know if you also saw this last week or so that we took a huge delivery of stuff from Wokingham Vineyard. They're, they're a vineyard in a fairly wealthy area. They have also, though, loads of um, areas of poverty. Hence, they have a food bank and grow baby ministries and things like that. But living in such an affluent area does mean that they sometimes have an abundance of food and other provisions donated. And these donations have massively increased since the beginning of the pandemic. And it's allowed them to fill their storehouse to the brim and therefore be able to share some of it with us. And among other things, in this last week or so, we took delivery of, there was hundreds of boxes, but there was over a 100 tins of tuna. And we were able then to just very quickly and easily step into serving local needs. Why did Wokingham Vineyard reach out to us? Why do we often have what we need? Why do we often as a church have more than we need? Why do we get involved in some of the most pressing needs of our city serving the last, the lost and the least? Because Jesus is changing us to become more like him. We read our Bibles and we respond to the words and to the works of Jesus because the word of God is alive and it's powerful. That's what Hebrews 4.12 says. I, I want to ask you, are you ready for today? Because the word of God is alive and powerful and if you let him I believe he wants to and he will shape you. Today's topic is no light subject but I want to look at the fact that Jesus is stronger than death. You know this is a well-trodden passage but I'm just hopefully going to bring a few fresh ways of looking at this. Let me read it to you. It's Mark starting in chapter 5 verse 21. It says this, Jesus got into the boat again and went to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore then a leader of the local synagogue whose name was Jairus arrived and he, when he saw Jesus he fell at his feet pleading fervently with him my daughter is dying he said please come and lay hands on her heal her so that she can live Jesus went with him and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She'd suffered a great deal from many doctors over the years. She'd spent everything she had to pay for them, but she hadn't gotten better, no, even worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she'd been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realised at once healing power had gone from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman trembling at the realisation of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she'd done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. 
while he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jarius, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jarius, don't be afraid, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. Then when, well, sorry, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw how much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all the, why all the commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's only sleeping. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave and he took the girl's father and mother and three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said, get up, talaf karum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. Let's just try and grab just a couple of things. There's so much in this. This passage is rich, but just grab a few things. The first one is I really want to pick up on something. If you were with us last week that I talked about, because last week I talked about going to the other side and pressing through the storm. I don't know if you noticed how this passage starts. It says this, verse 21, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake. If you remember last week, all of that pain, all of that struggle, after the disciples thought they were going to die, after the huge moment of learning and growing in their faith to trust, and now they've gone back to where they started. Isn't this a backward step? Sometimes we have to return to old ground. Sometimes we go through things that we've been through before. Sometimes we go to what can feel like back to square one. Sometimes we can take what feels like a step back from where we thought we should be or ought to be. And often that is not always a bad thing because experience is nothing if we don't learn. But if we learn, we're wiser, we're sharper, and we can be moulded and shaped to be closer to Jesus. I pretty much guarantee that the disciples would have taken on on board some taken on board. Excuse the pun, but they would have taken on board some of the life lessons that Jesus had taught them, and it would have refined them, even if it was painful. Even though they're now aware he is in the boat, even if it's the same boat as before, maybe. To, to them, this travel even feels mundane, but they don't see or need the same miracle, but he's still in the boat. He's still leading them. While they may, while they may have crossed back without the storm, if they'd have faced it again, I think they would have been more prepared with greater faith and trust in him. You know, we've got to grow up before we grow old. This is really the stuff of Hebrews 5. We aren't on infant milk anymore. We move on to solid food. That's what Hebrews 5.14 says. It said, solid food is for those who mature, who through training have the skill to recognise the difference between right and wrong. How's our perspective changing? As we see and interact with the words and works of Jesus, as we understand and divulge and get a grasp of more of him, are we changing? So that as we go through even similar experiences, even the same experience, as we go back sometimes to the other side, is our faith and trust growing because we've been through a previous storm or even we're in a storm, but we've been changed 
by the previous one prepared for all that is ahead. Anyway, that kind of rounds off last week. I thought that worth sharing. But for this week, this really, Jarius verse 23 says, My daughter is dying. He said, please come and lay your hands on her, heal her so she can live. His daughter is dying. It's another life and death moment like the one the disciples faced in the boat. He is desperate. You know, imagine the motivation. Steph and I watched this last week uh, episode of Grand Designs. I don't know if you watched that. I love it. And uh, this one more than ever was was more emotive and more gripping than usual. The guy, uh, well, the couple that it was covering, the guy had recently had a brain hemorrhage and his wife was recovering and, and actually still had significant cancer. I think she said she had over 90 different types. And honestly, it was it was heartbreaking, but it was so powerful to watch. Everything within me just wanted to pop round and help this couple. But you could see, you could sense, you kind of, kind of grasp the clarity with which they were living. They'd experienced and had a close kind of brush with, with death and it focused their minds. And, and in a similar way, I don't think we can take lightly this moment that Jarius is facing. His daughter is dying and it's focused his mind and he finds the one person who he thinks can help Jesus and Jesus commits to helping him. And then Jesus gets distracted on the way you know imagine feeling that and having the emotion of running through that I don't know if you've got deep pain have you got a deep longing have you got a dream in your heart have you got a desire that you believe the Lord has spoken about and into and yet now it's gone quiet or it feels like he's gone cold you know a, a family need that you've cried out for maybe a prodigal or a loss or that's what's happening to Jarius Anyway, let's just interject with the story of the woman who is bleeding because Jesus is on the way to the dying daughter. And then in verse 35, the woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She'd suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she'd spent everything she had to pay for them, but she'd not gotten better. In fact, she'd gotten worse. Gosh, imagine that. 12 years, the pain the embarrassment, the shame, the isolation. Not not for a week, not just for a year, but 12 years. She's tried every doctor. It's impacted every part of her life. She's spent every penny she has to try and get help. She's tried it all, and not only has it not got better, in fact, it's got worse. Has the thing you carry, the thing you're working through, the burden on you, maybe not even just for a while, but for a long time, potentially even rather than see any improvement, actually it's got worse. You know, your average person would have probably chucked the towel in. The average person would have quite easily slipped into getting bitter, getting frustrated, even giving up and giving in, and yet she responds to the words and to the works of Jesus. If I can do anything in this life, it would be to plead with you, to beg you, to encourage you, do not give up and do not give in on Jesus. Oh yeah, without a doubt you'll have frustrations and pains with everything else. You might have 
tried everything else, but the one person and the one place to not step aside from is Jesus. And I've I've got a stack of things that I would say that have cost me, disappointed me, knocked me, hurt me, confused me, all of that. But there's no other response than to do what Jarius did in verse 22. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. There's no other response than to do what this lady did in verse 27. She'd heard about Jesus. She came up behind him through the crowd and she touched his robe. Why? Because verse 28, she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she'd been healed of her terrible condition. Sometimes we can feel overlooked or we can feel forgotten. Jesus is going with Jarius, 12 years this lady has been suffering. Jesus has not overlooked or forgotten her. He sees her. You know, what's your 12 years? What's your equivalent of bleeding? You know, is it long-standing hurt? Is it a dream, a longing, a pain, a frustration, a confusion? It might not be 12 years. It might be just 12 days. But what is it that's gripped you, dictated, dominated? What's the thing that you've returned to and the thing that's held on to you? Because it's time to reach out to Jesus again. Praying not just because of what you see in response, but because... It's what he told you to do and it's how we respond to the words and to the works of Jesus. Verse 30, Jesus realised at once that the healing power had gone from him. So he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who has touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at the crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who has touched me? Don't just grab what you need, grab him. That's what I want to say. Don't just grab what you need, grab onto him. I've seen it so many times that the the, the point of need subsides or the storm dies down or the, the healing happens or the challenge is resolved and then we just crack on as was. Don't crack on as was. Don't just grab what you need, grab him. Don't just seek his hand, seek his face because he wants to know you. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched me? He doesn't just want a, a grab and go. He wants you to take a step closer to him and a step closer today. You know, so many in that crowd were curious, but so very few touched him. So some people might not get it. You know, those around you, colleagues or friends or family. Verse 31, the disciples said to him, look at this crowd pass, pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? Don't just be a crowd. Be the person who responds to him. Verse 32, he kept on looking around to see who had done it. He's looking for you to look for him, longing for you to reach out. So what does that look like? Well, you know, it starts with what do you know? What do you already know about him? How can you respond to what you already know? He doesn't overlook you. He has time for you. And touching him will change your life. Verse 34, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, your suffering is over. Faith is a lightning conductor for change. We have to trust Jesus and his timing. And sometimes that comes under the cosh. You know, let's be honest, sometimes that gets tested. We see it, verse 35, while he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter's dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. Imagine 
his reaction, Jairus's reaction, oh, I'm delighted this woman is healed, but what about my daughter? Such an easy trap to feel, sorry, to fall into. Oh, I'm so glad you're healed of your one-day headache, but what about my lifelong challenge? Oh, I'm delighted you can afford your luxury holiday, but what about me struggling to just even pay my electric bill? We see how quickly and easily we can fall into the trap. Verse 35, how other voices can dampen the faith and knock you back. He said this, they told him, your daughter's dead. There's no use in troubling the teacher now. Don't let anyone or anything hold you back from getting to Jesus. The enemy will try that and he'll try that in a big way. You know, we've got another major works and work, words and works of Jesus moment right here. Another huge faith and trust moment right here because it starts with sowing and, and the weeds coming up around to rob that seed in week one. Then we see, you know, the, 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 the growth gets consumed and suffocated by, by the weeds. That's how it stops our faith taking root. Then in last week, it's the storm. There's another huge faith and trust moment. Then verse 35, Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. We've got another huge moment. Don't be afraid, just have faith. He's, his daughter's dead. Everybody's telling him it's game over. It does not matter what others are telling you and it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. What matters is the words and the works of Jesus and what he's saying and how you're hearing him say it. Don't be afraid, just have faith. Verse 37, then Jesus stopped and the crowd wouldn't let him go with him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, what's all this um, commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's just sleeping. The crowd laughed at him. But he made them all leave and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. This is so crucial. So crucial. We are people of faith. Verse 37, Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James and John. Why? Because to see moves of the Father, we need to be people of faith and trust. And he wanted people of faith and trust. Faith is a lightning conductor. Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. All the earthly signs that could wobble you and deter you and affect and impact your judgment. Not everyone is going to have the faith and the resolve that he's calling you into. The faith steps of previous moments leading to the next one that he asks you to take. Sometimes you need the storm to build your faith for what is coming. Verse 40, the crowd laughed at him. You know, people won't always see things from your perspective because you're seeking to see things from a kingdom perspective, seeking to drop hours at work to serve the church or the city, seeking to clean the staff area at work that nobody else would go near, giving your time to others that can't even thank you. The things that you're going to do as a result of seeing more of Jesus aren't always going to stack up or add up to other people you may be laughed at. But what I long for most is that I would have enough faith to be in the room to see the miracle I have to believe in the miracle worker cynicism isn't going to cut it we want to be people who are in the room creating creating and fostering environments to allow the spirit of God to move freely among us how do you 
dilute or increase these moments? Honestly, that's the question we've got to ask ourselves. Oh, why bother? We've prayed so many times and not seen anything. Or we're going to go again. We're going to pray for this again. Don't let the crowd crowd you out. Press in and press through. Let me just finish with this. This week I want to focus really on this. He is stronger than death. Ultimately, our greatest need of Jesus is that prior to knowing him, we were spiritually dead. And yet to, to allow us to know him, he gives us life. Ephesians 2 verse 1, you were once dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. Ephesians 4 verse 1, but God is so rich in mercy and he loves us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. You know, Paul emphasised that we don't need to live any longer under sin's power. The penalty of death and sin is over and we were miraculously destroyed by Jesus on the cross. Much of the book of Mark is about highlighting to us our need to repent and to believe. We turn from what was into what he's calling us towards, from death to life. You were dead but you're made alive in Jesus. My question is this. Where are we still wearing the grave clothes? In each decision we make, we choose the grave clothes or we choose the resurrection life that has been given to us. Has the power and authority and the understanding that Jesus has over death come alive in us? Because we choose not to live in fear. We choose not to live in fear. We choose not to settle for addictions. We choose not to live in behaviours that have gripped us. Choose not to be bound by the past. Choose not to be limited by our health or circumstances because they're all grave clothes. Now, I'm not talking about the health, wealth, prosperity gospel. I'm not, I'm, I'm not talking about name it and claim it. And, you know, if you don't, it's because of a lack of faith. No, 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 none of that. That's not what I'm on about, but I'm talking about a knowledge and an awareness of the life that can be found in him and through him, that even death is defeated, that he has authority over the natural and the supernatural, and that our faith, our trust, our peace, and our resolve should increase as we come into an awareness of the words and the works of Jesus and the impact that they can have on changing us and challenging us and sustaining us. What areas of your life are you spiritually and emotionally and physically still living in grave clothes because he's calling you into life? 1 Peter 2 verse 9, he called you out of darkness into wonderful light. He's called us from death into life and it's an active choice for us to respond in each area of our lives to that truth. I trust and I hope that's helpful to you today. I'm just going to invite Steph to join me as we as we have a time of ministry.